Welcome back to my study. We're still doing our series on fighting off fear. I talked to a friend of mine on the East Coast last week. He was not a prime candidate for COVID-19, but he got it. He's 45, maybe 48, in good shape. But he told me that he was pretty much comatose for about three weeks. It was touch and go. He's fine. He actually worked out that morning, and he said, I'm about 90%. But um, he said that was a workout, dealing with that stuff. So people are still dealing with the health ramifications of this virus. People are still dealing with the financial ramifications of this virus. We're now dealing with uh, tyranny issues on this virus because, as Lord Acton said years ago, all power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we're watching that in the United States of America. I'm not going to go that direction today. We might hit it later. But I want to talk today about this whole issue, again, of fighting off fear from the perspective of four men that I have talked with in the last 24 hours. These guys are all following Christ. They're committed to the Lord. They're disciples of Christ. They're serious about Him. And He's first in their lives. There's no question about it. But through email and through a phone call, I've had conversations with these guys just since yesterday. And there are five parallels in their lives. But the the parallels were so striking, I thought, I'm going to use this as an outline for our study today. So let me give you these five parallels. Number one, all of these guys were fighting off fear because of this virus that has hit us since, well, really, we've been feeling it since early March. March 1, as we've said, Uh, The economy was great. It was rip-roaring, greatest economy in the history of the world, and then boom. These guys have all been nailed, and it's taken a tremendous toll on them, and it's taken a tremendous toll on their wives. Secondly, they have all been in deep financial trouble as a result of this crisis. They've experienced financial losses. They have experienced uh, reversals, and perhaps these reversals are to a point that they'll never recover from. Some of these guys, their careers are involved in areas of the economy that may not ever come back, and they know that. So this, you can imagine the, the, the pressure this brings on a marriage, and they're between 40 and probably 65. Some of them are looking at the possibility of retirement, that's kind of out the window now. Uh, In other words, their plans have been absolutely obliterated because of the financial turmoil that they're experiencing in their lives. Job 5.17 says this, Man is born for trouble just as sparks fly upward. You can't avoid trouble. Uh, The trouble that all these guys are in right now is financial trouble. Third thing about these four guys, in the midst of their trouble, they have all followed the example of Robinson Crusoe and called upon the name of the Lord. And you're saying Robinson Crusoe. Yeah. 
If, if you have not ever read that book that was written in 1717 by Daniel Defoe, it used to be required reading uh, in English classes. At some point in your life, you, you would have read. I, I'm not sure they do that anymore. But uh, it, it was uh, fiction. And Daniel Defoe, who was a Presbyterian minister, kind of a liberal Presbyterian minister, wrote a story about this young guy raised in a Christian home, Robinson Crusoe, and uh, he became a prodigal. His, his father was a good dad, uh, taught him the scriptures, modeled the scripture. He wanted nothing to do with it. And so he rebels and he gets on a ship and goes to sea. And it's, it's so well written. It's, it's a captivating story. Uh, he winds up shipwrecked and he's on a desert island, and he's there approximately 30 years in this story. But there is a point where he changes. And the reason he changes is that he is on the verge of death. Interestingly enough, the great British preacher, C.H. Spurgeon, who preached in London in the uh, 1800s, he did a sermon in, I believe it was 1877 on a Sunday night, called the Robinson Crusoe Passage. The sermon was based on Psalm 50, verse 15, which says, Call on me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you, and you will honor me. Call on me in the day of trouble. Well, Job said man is born to trouble. That's true. And Robinson Crusoe found himself in trouble that he never imagined that would come into his life. Uh, that happens to us. We find ourselves as we go through life facing situations we never thought that we would be in. We, we thought that kind of thing happened to someone else, but indeed we find ourselves suddenly dealing with this and we're overwhelmed and we're stunned and we're shocked and we're blindsided and we're wondering where is God in all this? So Spurgeon preaches this message and he calls it the Robinson Crusoe passage, call on me in the day of trouble, I will rescue you and you will honor me. And Spurgeon, and I have the sermon here printed out, but he talks about how much he loved that book as a boy and he had read it over and over a number of times. But he tells the story of Crusoe being sick with fever. He's by himself. He hardly has anything. I mean, it's a hand-to-mouth existence. He's trying to avoid the cannibals that are on the other side of the island. The, the only thing that he has are, are, the, are the fruits and some animals that he can kill. And every once in a while, other ships that have wrecked, there will be um, crates that'll wash up on the beach, and he'll open them up and see what he can find. And at a certain point in the story, a crate does come to the beach and he's very excited, hoping he'll find something that can really benefit him. And he opens it up and there's some clothing and there's some uh, staples, food staples. He's not even sure he'll use. And there's a Bible. And he was very, very disappointed. Uh, he was looking for something more exciting than a Bible. But you fast forward in the story and he's got a high fever. He's about to die. He, he's so sick he can hardly pick up the little gourd that he has full of water. And he starts to improve slightly. 
And in his desperation, he asks God to help him. And he reaches over to that Bible that was at the side of his little cot that he had put together. And he just opened up the Bible. And he opened it up to Psalm 50, verse 15. And the text said, Call on me in the day of trouble. And I will rescue you. And you will honor me. That verse is the pivot for that entire story. Because what happened, this young man who was in rebellion to his father and to God the Father, finally, in his desperate circumstances, realized he had no hope. He was absolutely destitute. It took all of that for him to call on the name of the Lord. And he knew the gospel because he had heard it his whole life. And he called upon the Lord Jesus and asked the Lord Jesus to forgive him of his sin and to come into his life and to save him from his sin and to preserve his life and to make a way. And he said, Lord, I'll follow you. He didn't know if he'd ever get off that island. But it's a tremendous story. You may remember a movie called Castaway that Tom Hanks did a number of years ago. And as I recall the movie, he was a FedEx executive and he was flying somewhere over the ocean and there was great turbulence and some kind of storm and the plane goes down. And the next thing he knows, he's on a desert island. And as Mary and I were watching that movie one night, I'm watching this and he's on the island and he's all by himself. He, uh, he's pretty desperate. But what he does is, in, instead of calling on the Lord, he finds a volleyball, a Wilson volleyball, and he names it Wilson. And that volleyball is the one he calls upon. It's the one he pours out his heart to. Uh, it becomes his confidant. Uh, really, it kind of becomes his idol. I realize that movie was based on the story of Robinson Crusoe. But it missed a key point. The key point that it missed is that when all else fails, we have to turn to the Lord. Why do these things happen to us? I mentioned a week or two ago, 2 Corinthians 1, where Paul talked about this extremely difficult time in his life. And 2 Corinthians is the most autobiographical book of all of Paul's letters. He, he goes into his background, his sufferings, his hardships. And he says in 2 Corinthians 1, You remember our affliction in Asia when we were excessively burdened beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life itself. Now that's what happened to despair even of life itself. That's what happened to Robinson Crusoe. That's what happened to Tom Hanks' character in Castaway. And it's what happened to Paul. But Paul goes on and says these things happen in order that we might learn not to trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So, these four guys, they had five traits. Here's the fourth trait. And this goes back to our last podcast, because in the last podcast, I said when you're in difficult straits and you're in a hard place, and you're being hemmed in, and you're being crushed, one of two things will happen to you. Number one is that God will deliver you. And we all would want to be delivered, obviously. 
But the second thing that can happen is that God will disappoint you. And then what God will do, even as you're disappointed, is that God will redirect you. And then what God will do is deliver you, but in a way and a fashion that never crossed your mind. The mind of man, Proverbs 16 says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. God redirects us because he knows better and we get so we get a grip on our plans, we get a grip on our objectives, we get a, a grip on what we want to accomplish, and we think it's best, but you go down further into Proverbs 16, and it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. So when God disappoints, what is He doing? Well, actually what He's doing is He's redirecting because He will deliver, but He will deliver a mercy that is greater than anything you could ever ask or think. Now, that's what ha has happened with these four men that I've talked with in the last 24 hours. Uh, what, what happened was that because of the financial reversals, they were greatly disappointed. But then they were rescued. And even in the midst of the rescue, God redirected them and they were emailing me to tell me that this is what the Lord has done and I never would have thought of this in a million years. It's remarkable. One of the guys told me, he said, that my wife said, this is a miracle. This is an absolute miracle. She thought they were finished. She thought that it was over. And, and they're praising God today. And, and a week ago, they were on the verge of despair. Same thing was true of the other three guys. Tremendous setbacks. Uh, one in particular was in a foreign country doing mission work with his wife, doing a great task for the Lord, and it just got shut down. And they had to leave, really, for their personal safety. And they came back, and what is this all? God's completely redirected them for a season, they may go back, but for right now, and in this redirection, He is providing, and He is delivering, and they're astonished at what He's doing. The fifth thing, and they all had this in common in their stories. They were all rescued out of trouble because of this principle. He cares and He carries. There is a wonderful verse where God says to the men of Israel, referring to their 40 years in the desert, He said, I carried you as a father carries a little boy. I can remember my dad picking me up and carrying me. I, I, I remember specifically, we were going to the county fair, the Kern County Fair in Central California. And I was very excited. I was probably five years old. And I'm hopping around on the back seat. There were no seat belts back then. It was a wonderful era. There were uh, steel dashboards, no seat belts, no safety. You know, it was just crazy. And I'm in between. I'm on the back, that little hump where the transmission is. And I'm holding on to the seats. And I'm going, I'm so pumped I can see the Ferris wheel. And we're getting closer and closer. And my dad pulls in. And we get out of the car. 
and I'm looking at that Ferris wheel, and then I go over to grab my dad's hand, and I look up, and it was the wrong man. It wasn't my dad. I grabbed this man's hand, and I looked at him, and then my, I heard my dad say, Steve. And I, I mean, I made a sprint to my dad, and then I kind of dove, and he just picked me up, and he carried me in, into the fair. And I, was I relieved? Yeah. He, he just picked me up, and when he picked me up, I was safe, I was secure, I was going to be okay. I mean, I was frightened. But now I'm okay because my dad picked me up and carried me. Nothing like a father carrying a son. And the Lord said to those men in Deuteronomy 1, I carried you as a father carries his little boy. You have the same thing in Isaiah 46. And, and this is for us as men. Because, uh, hey, we're, we're still dust. We're still frail. We still have weaknesses. We're all beset with weaknesses. We, we, we don't like to be weak. But what God does is that He takes strong men and He makes them weak because His power is perfected in weakness. This is why He strips us of things. This is why the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Because when we're weak, we realize that we need Him. And we realize that He's our Father. And we look to Him, to His promises and His provision and His care. And we find out in these hard times that He cares and He carries. So in Isaiah 46, verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I will be the same. Now here's what happens. We get older and we start breaking down. This is why professional athletes, they might make it into their 30s. But they're not the same at 35 as they were at 25. Because you get in your 30s and you're aging. Not much, but you lose a step. And then you're in your 40s and you lose two steps. And then you're in your 50s and 60s. You can't do what you used to do physically because you're not the same as you were as a young man. And that never happens to God. He says, you who have been born by me from birth and carried from the womb, even to your old age, I will be the same. We get in old age, we're not going to be the same. He'll be the same. We can count on him. You who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. Now go back to these four guys. They're all mid-40s, up in their 60s. And when you're in the second half of life, you're aware that things are changing and you're aware that you have a limited amount of time on the earth. And when you get hit financially, you're aware that you have so many years to provide and to plan and you get ready for retirement and all this stuff. And when it's suddenly wiped out, that's a devastating loss. So what do you do? I can think of somewhere between six, seven, eight guys, Christian men, over the last 10 years, that seem to be pretty steady in their faith and in their walk with the Lord. And they all took their own lives. They all committed suicide. Why was that? 
I, I, I don't know their hearts. I don't know what was going on inside, but the fear, the worry, the anxiety, maybe even guilt, I don't know. But they got it all out of perspective. And you know, Satan is a liar and he loves, he loves to lie to us. And he loves to rob us of hope. And I wonder how many of those guys just flat out lost hope. There's no reason to take your life if you have hope. But when you get your eyes off the promises that God has made and you get your eyes off who he is, you're going to lose hope quickly, especially in a situation like this. This is why we have to fight off fear. And we have to have a greater fear of God than we have of circumstances or of men or of tyrants or of whatever it is. Even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. He's going to take care of you. The Lord goes on and says, even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have made you and I will carry you and I will bear you and I will deliver you. That's God's promise. He'll get us through this, uh, this virus. He'll get us through the setback. And you know what? He's the God who rescues. And you may be listening to this and saying, wow, that's great about those four guys, but I, I, I'm right where they were, and I haven't been rescued. Well, that's very real. So you're still under great pressure, and your wife's under great pressure. I referred to the uh, promises of God and I gave you a phrase earlier where I said that he cares and he carries. But let me give you another principle here. He promises and he performs. John Flavel, the old Puritan pastor from England 300 years ago, made this comment. And, and it was based on Jeremiah 1.12 where God says, that I am watching over my word to perform it. You know, you can take these promises and you can flat out hold them up before the Lord. Now, I want to say this to you. If there's sin in your life that's unconfessed, um, God's not going to respond with favor until you confess your sin. I saw a big tractor trailer on the interstate the other day, and on the back of it, it said Psalm 32, 8. And I thought, that's a wild verse to put on the back of a truck because it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, but don't be as the horse or mule whose trappings include bit and bridle to keep them in place. And, and it was directed to David. Now, what's interesting is that that's Psalm 32, 8. In verses 1 through 7, David is confessing his sin with Bathsheba, which he hid for a year. And once he comes clean, and once he repents, and once he's not living a double life, then the Lord says, because you see, not only Psalm 32, but Psalm 51, those are the two Psalms in regard to his sin with Bathsheba. And he, and he comes clean. Thomas Watson used to say, repentance is the vomiting of the soul. It's the dry heaves. You ever had the dry heaves? Isn't that a wonderful experience? I mean, you he, you're heaving from your heels. There's nothing left. That's repentance. It's not a flippant, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. 
I, I had a guy tell me recently that he'd been living a double life for 25 years. And he was in big trouble. And it was the hand of God on him, him and him in. And the thing I said to him is, I want you to know, I'm praying that you will come as clean as David did with Bathsheba. It says in Psalm 51 that God desires truth in the innermost being. No lies, no rationalization, no defense. You come absolutely clean. And then God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be as the horse or mule whose trappings, includes, whose trappings include bit and bridle to keep them in check. In other words, don't fight me. Don't resist me. You know what I've been praying? This, this virus thing, this is crazy. Is this whole thing not nuts? Man, we've never seen anything like this. And, and what is God saying and what does it mean? And I, I walk, I'll tell you what I do. I walk a lot. And more and more as I walk, I pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Hey, when you're in financial difficulty and you don't have a job and you're out of money, you're asking for daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Go back to the beginning. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And see, that's got to start with me. In my own heart, I can't be living a double life. He sees it. He knows it. I'm a fraud. Thy kingdom come. Jesus must rule and reign in my heart. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Not my plan. Not my manipulations. Your will. Now that's the guy God will bless. That's the guy God will rescue. We're all sinners. But if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and you know what? He'll make a way because he cares and he carries and he promises and he, and he performs. And he's watching over his word to perform it, Jeremiah 1.12. You thought I forgot John Flavel, but I didn't. John Flavel said this in regard to the timing of God because some of you guys, yeah, I'm, I haven't been delivered. I haven't been rescued. I'm, I'm in trouble. It's getting bad. Okay, listen to what Flavel said 300 years ago. Promises, like a pregnant woman, must accomplish their appointed months. And when they have so done, providence will midwife the mercies into the world, and not one of them shall miscarry. The promises of God never miscarry. God's all about timing. Psalm 84, 11, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Yeah, but Steve, I'm in a bind. I mean, I'm going down. If the Lord doesn't come through this week, da, 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 you're just like the four guys. That's where they were a couple of weeks ago, right? 
Yeah, no good thing to see withhold. And, and you know, my, my buddies aren't dealing with this like I am. I'm dealing with it. God's blessing them. And I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know why I don't have it. Well, no good thing to see withhold from those who walk uprightly. If you don't have that, if it is a good thing and you don't have it right now, it doesn't mean you won't have it in the future. It just means you don't have it right now because right now it's not a good thing. doesn't mean you won't have it in three days or in a week or in 10 days because you see God knows what he's doing in your life. And just as a pregnant woman has to await the appointed time, so we've got to wait the appointed time for the promises to come forth. He knows what he's doing. He's got his eye on you. So last week, Mary calls me. I'm out running some errands, and she said, Steve, my sister just called me, and my mother died. And it, Mary's mom was a great woman, 92 years old, godly woman. John Wesley, who was one of 19 kids, if you can imagine, John Wesley said, my, I have learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all of the theologians in England. He had a godly mother who really lived out Christianity. Well, that was Mary's mom. And it really was a mercy. She, Mary wasn't there, but her two sisters were there, and that was a mercy. And she just took a breath and was gone. No more heartache, no more sorrow, no more struggling. They didn't have to make any real hard end-of-life decisions. The Lord just took her. So we went, got in the car. We weren't going to fly because of the virus and made a road trip. And uh, our daughter, Rachel, rode with us, and that was kind of fun. We hadn't done that in a long, long time. And we stopped and had lunch in the city, in the town, where that I referred to in the last podcast, where I was pastoring a church and after X amount of time, the elders asked me to leave. Now, I had been there once for a speaking engagement on the other side of town, but we grabbed lunch in the area where we used to live, and we went by where we used where the, our house was, and we went to our favorite burger joint, and it was kind of fun. And then we went up to the funeral, which was a great funeral, just family, but we, it was wonderful. The Lord was honored. And then we drive back the next day and we stop again for lunch and we're in the same area. And I took a little different route this time. And um, I, I saw the office building where we had some really, really tough meetings with leadership. I saw the house where I went outside and the streets where when I was told they wanted me to leave, where I walked those streets and prayed and asked God to direct me and lead me and to make a way because we had an immediate need and I didn't know how we were going to get out. Rachel was 11 when we left. And I started telling her stories about what God did. And, and she knew a little of it, but she was just a, a kid, so she didn't know the whole story. But for the next several hours, I just told her stories because I can so clearly remember 
how big a crossroads that was for us. And I was utterly frantic. I did not see how we were going to make it. But it's really interesting, 30 years later, the same month, to look back and see the faithfulness of God and be able to tell my daughter, yeah, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. George Mueller in England had a bunch of orphanages. He took care of 2,000 kids a day at a certain point. A lot of orphans back then in the 1800s. When he started the orphanage, he said, I'm doing it to help the children, but that's not my primary reason. I'm starting these orphanages to demonstrate that God is still the living God and he answers prayer and he upholds his promises. So Mueller would not ask people for donations. He wouldn't send out fundraising letters. He just would pray it in. And the Lord took care of it. Then I have a book over there that's about this thick where he kept a very intricate journal of God's specific answers to prayer and God's rescuing and God's provision. And I, I, I just have to say it's so fresh in my mind just being in that city a week ago. I'm just reminded of the faithfulness of God. So I would say this to you. If you're in that place of tremendous pressure and you've lost a job or career and you're not sure the next step, I think it's Psalm 142.3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. He knows your path. He knew my path 30 years ago. And I look back and it's so crystal clear. It wasn't crystal clear then. Are you overwhelmed? Is your spirit overwhelmed? When my spirit was overwhelmed, you knew my path. And he'll make a way because he cares and he will carry. Thank you, Father, for your word and for your truth. We have nowhere else to go except to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.